0: Welcome to all my friends out in the world of Facebook. Nice to be with you on this Thursday afternoon as we continue on through the month of June. Wonderful to have you joining in today and looking forward to uh, this study. Want to welcome everyone to this series of lessons we've been looking at, just started, a series of lessons on the armor of God. And uh, from Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 20, So if you're just now joining us today, that's okay. If this is the first lesson you've uh, listened to, watched, That's great. Uh, Last week on Tuesday and Thursday, we did a little bit of introduction into the study, talking about the the, uh, church and the world and how this is a spiritual battle and a spiritual war. And so we need spiritual armor for that. The panoply of God, as we sing, as we discussed last, uh, just a couple of days ago on Tuesday, Uh, This week's lessons uh, surround that great statement in Ephesians 6 as he begins getting specific about the armor of God. Paul writes and tells us that we have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And that belt of truth, as we said on Tuesday, is one of the primary uh, things that we need to have. In fact, everything's attached to it. It holds it all together. And the belt of truth, that truth being the word of God. So we recognize and know that 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 is exactly what uh, we focus on as we try to live our lives faithful to the Lord. And that is being obedient to his word, the truth, um, using that belt of truth. Nice to see my cousins, Gail and Keith, signing in. My dear friends, Larry and Lynn, signing in. And Logan, too. Logan, hey, how's it going, man? Uh, Great to uh, see all of you, enjoyed being with you last night as we had our our summer series And I got to speak from uh, the book of Esther I may post that on my Facebook page uh, sometime tomorrow if I remember Uh, But it's great to have everyone joining in, looking forward to this lesson today But as we kind of begin, let's look at a, uh, uh, think about some of the scripture passages that we mentioned last week uh, we talked, on, or that we mentioned on Tuesday. We were speaking this week on the belt of truth. And of course, the truth is the important part of that. Um, and looking at several passages of scripture from the Gospel of John as we uh, think about that belt of truth from Ephesians 6, verse 14, and, and what the truth really is. And we answered the question that it, the truth is the Word of God. And we looked at several passages of scripture from the book of John, beginning in chapter 1. A couple of times in John 1, Jesus is spoken of as coming and revealing and being filled with grace and truth. Not one or the other, but both. Certainly the truth is found in Jesus Christ and his word. And he says that in John 8 verses 31 and 32. When he says, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, that truth is the teaching of Jesus Christ, the teaching of God's word, the Bible. In John 12, Jesus makes uh, a great statement in verses 47 and 48 as he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. That's what he says in John 3. In John 12, he says, the one who rejects me has a judge for them, and that is the very words that I have spoken will condemn them in the last day, Jesus says in John 12. In John 17, he prays as he's praying to the Father shortly before his crucifixion. He asks the Father to sanctify his disciples through the truth, and then he says, your word is truth. It's clear that in Jesus' mind, the word of God is the truth that he's talking about. And in that interaction with Pilate, so interesting, uh, as Jesus appears before Pilate towards the end of the Gospel of John, Pilate asks, Jesus tells him, the ones who are of the truth will hear my voice and they will heed my words. And Pilate just kind of, as a, as a uh, politician of the day in first century Rome, you can see him throwing up his hands and just saying, what, what is truth? And scripture answers that question. The truth is the word of God. So much so that Jesus says in John 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How important is the truth of God's word? Well, that's, that's what Jesus says, uh, that it is the only way to the Father. The psalmist delighted in God's word. Uh, Oh, how I love your law, the psalmist says in Psalm 119. And so with that in mind, I want us to, as we go through these lessons, my plan anyway, we'll see if it happens every week, but my plan is to discuss one part of that armor that Paul mentions in Ephesians 6 on Tuesday, and then on Thursday to kind of give a case study of that, uh, uh, to flesh it out a bit and to give us a... Uh, a subject, an example of somebody who lived that out in their lives. And this week we're going to be looking at the man Ezra, E-Z-R-A. And So you may want to be turning to Ezra chapter 7. If you've got your uh, handy dandy Bible app, then you're probably already there. If you're turning in your Bible, then it's somewhere in that Old Testament, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, those three go together. And we'll also look at a chapter, uh, a few verses out of the book of Nehemiah. Uh, But a little bit of background, first of all. I shared a lot more background last night in that message about Esther. Uh, Esther realizing that Esther comes um, a few decades, maybe 20 or 30 years, uh, before Ezra comes on the scene. Uh, Esther being uh, the, the queen of Persia under King Xerxes or Artaxerxes. But Ezra comes along around 457, 458 uh, BC, and we remember the the exile that uh, God's people were on, the Israelites, the Northern Kingdom taken into captivity in the 8th century BC by the Assyrians, the Southern Kingdom of Judah and its capital Jerusalem taken off, destroyed into uh, taken off into captivity in 586 BC after a few, after two or three. Uh, stages of that exile, but finally the walls breached, the temple, the wonderful, beautiful grand temple of Solomon destroyed, and the people taken into captivity in 586 B.C. And in the words of, of Jeremiah, it's going to be 70 years, and he writes that letter to the exiles uh, in Second Chronicles, and he tells them, hey, get comfortable, um, buy some land, plant a garden. Uh, realize you're gonna be there a while and pray for the city where you are, that God would bless it because that'll go better for you. Uh, And just uh, as a friend of ours, a dear friend, would constantly remind us when we were in North Carolina, bloom where you're planted. And so they did, they did. But then King Cyrus and the Medes and the Persians took over and King Cyrus's edict comes out uh, in the book of Ezra. Ezra records that. But King Cyrus says, anyone who wants to go back to the land of the Jews and rebuild, uh, you're welcome to do that. And later a king would come along and would grant Ezra the opportunity to go back and, and check and see how things were going. And Ezra is a priest, and so when he goes back, he's going to be focusing on how the people were living according to the law of God, according to God's word, according to the commandments that Moses had given and the words of the prophets that had been received. And so Ezra as a priest is gonna be very committed to taking a look at how faithfully people were living and how their spiritual walk was going. And as we look to Ezra chapter seven, very quickly we see a man who is very committed uh, to the word of God, very committed to having that belt of truth uh, buckled around his own waist. Uh, Ezra was first of all committed to the law, committed to the law of Moses, committed to the law of God And so starting reading in Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 After these things, verse 1 of chapter 7 of the book of Ezra During the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra And then he recounts some of his historical lines, some of his ancestry And as you'll notice in those few verses, he goes all the way back to Aaron the brother of Moses, the first, very first high priest, the first priest. So Ezra is, uh, even in spite of the exile, they kept their records. And Ezra traces his lineage all the way back uh, to Aaron uh, as being the priestly tribe. Uh, So Ezra is definitely a priest and then he continues on in verse six. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a preacher, he was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Uh, Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, musicians, gatekeepers, and temple servants also came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Uh, Ezra, verse eight, arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month for the gracious hand of his God was on him. We'll read a little bit more about that, but one of the things that Ezra firmly believed is that God would be the one who would bless him on this trip. And so they prayed and they fasted and they sought God's blessing, not just the king's blessing, although Artaxerxes was gracious and providing them uh, permission to go and uh, allowing them to uh, do that exact thing. And uh, Ezra finally gets there uh, around 458, 457 uh, BC and uh, is able to observe the people there. But one of the great, great verses in scripture is in Ezra 7, verse 10. And it describes Ezra as he describes himself. This is what he says. In verse 10 of Ezra 7. For the reason why God's hand was upon them. And God blessed them. uh, He says in verse 10. Ezra had devoted himself to the study. And observance of the law of the Lord. And to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And remember Ezra for the most part of his life. Had done that in exile in Babylon. Uh, But here he describes himself. And he gives us a window into how committed this man was to the word of God, to the truth of God, how tightly that belt of truth was fitted around his waist. He had devoted himself, first of all, to the study of the law of the Lord. Obviously, that's where it starts. And then the second step is to personally obey it. He had devoted himself, was committed to the study of God's word, and then thirdly, he says that he was devoted to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. What a great outline. If you're looking for a three-point outline for a short Devo or a Bible class or a lesson or something, uh, there it is. Uh, the study of God's law, the, per- the personal study of the word of God, the personal obedience, living it first, and then thirdly, sharing it, teaching it with others. What a, if that could only be said of all of us, Um, Ezra describes himself in that way that I wish and, and I pray and I hope that Certainly described of me, but is described of every Christian Every disciple of Jesus Christ Devoted to the study of God's word To the obedience of God's word personally And to the teaching of God's word What a great, great statement Ezra 7.10, an amazing verse, a wonderful verse and then in verses 11 and following, Ezra describes a little bit about uh, the, the letter from the king granting him permission and encouraging them to take the resources uh, that they need. And in verse 14, uh, he says this uh, in Ezra chapter 7, you are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Uh, what, a, what a great uh, statement from a, a pagan ruler, just like his uh, predecessor, King Cyrus, had been very gracious in sending the Israelites back to their homeland. That was his practice when he came into power, unlike the Assyrians and the Babylonians who exiled people away from their homeland. Uh, King Cyrus felt that they would be better servants if he granted them permission to go back to their own land and to build it up and to continue to serve under the king and that's uh, obviously Artaxerxes' rule and Ezra had found favor in the king's eyes and he granted Ezra and all who would gather with him and he took with him some priests and some Levites and some others uh, to maintain the worship of the Lord. We see others going back, for example, Zerubbabel who was a, a descendant of King David uh, and uh, uh, Joshua, the priest at Zerubbabel's time, long before Ezra, they went back to rebuild the temple, and they did, they did. But Ezra goes back to rebuild the worship, uh, to rebuild uh, the uh, Christ, the faithful living of the people who were back in uh, the land of Israel. And then we skip down to verses 27 and 28, and Ezra gives this. Uh, Uh, praise to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, Ezra 7 verse 27, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way, and who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. And so from here, he's going to do exactly that. He's going to put the word out and gather a group that would go back with him, a group of leaders, a group of priests, and ultimately Levites as well. Remember, the Levites are the descendants of Levi, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had the 12 sons and a daughter. And one of those sons was Judah, through whom uh, the royal line would flow uh, through King David and then ultimately the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, would be descended from Judah, but Judah's brother was Levi, and Levi was the priestly tribe. The Levites were the ones who took care of the tabernacle, and then uh, ultimately a descendant of Levi, Aaron, the brother of Moses, would be called out to be the priestly tribe. And so Aaron and his descendants were the priests, uh, and Ezra was one of those. And so we read in Ezra chapter 8, uh, beginning at verse 21, the uh, group that, uh, that Ezra had gathered were, were meeting by a canal, and they were getting ready uh, to leave on their journey. Ezra 8 verse 21, There by the Ahava canal I proclaimed a fast, so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this and he answered our prayer. Another insight into this man, Ezra, man of the truth. He had told his king, I'd like to go back I want to restore some of the worship, and I want to take a group with me, and my God will bless me, and my God will protect us, and And the king said, okay, go, and take the resources that you need, and now Ezra is getting ready to leave, and he says, I couldn't bear to go before the king and say, could we get some protection? <laughs> he said, because of everything I've said, uh, I believe that the Lord will protect us, and the Lord will bless us, and so Instead of going to the king and asking for that, Ezra says he called on all who had gathered there, getting ready to leave, to pray and fast, and ask the Lord's blessing before they left. And sure enough, uh, the Lord was with them. On, in verses 31 and 32 of Ezra 8, it says, on the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. God answered their prayers. Ezra was a man of the truth. He trusted God completely. He devoted himself to studying and obeying and teaching God's word and God's law. And so now God heard his prayers and heard the prayers of those in their their group and gave them that safe journey that they had asked for. Uh, what a wonderful thing. And then in the chapters that follow, in chapters nine and 10, Ezra goes around and he, he sees what's going on with the Israelites that are back there in the land of Israel. And he doesn't like what he sees uh, because many of them had forsaken that call in the Old Testament to keep that ancestry line pure, uh, to uh, not intermarry with the people of the land because God was so concerned that the people would allow some of their gods and some of their worship to come into the people of God and the people of Israel. And yet those there who had returned from exile already before Ezra had intermarried with the nations around them. And so Ezra calls them out on it. And the people confess their sins in chapter 10, uh, the sin of intermarriage with uh, their pagan spouses. And so Ezra is able to bring about great reforms and, uh, and great repentance on the part of the people uh, that had returned already. And so now we turn a few pages forward to, in the book of Nehemiah to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is going to write about uh, Ezra and his work as well. Uh, Nehemiah comes and rebuilds the walls, uh, supervises that work about 10 years or so after Ezra had returned. Uh, To the promise uh, to the land of Israel. And so Nehemiah talks about uh, this important uh, man who uh, was a priest of God and came to uh, reignite the passion and the devotion for the law of the Lord. Uh, And so we read in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 1 All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, which is another word for a scribe, uh, uh, Ezra obviously a priest, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Verse 2 of of Nehemiah 8, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Remember, uh, Nehemiah had returned uh, much earlier and had supervised the completion of the temple around 516 B.C., and so now uh, we're um, uh, 70 or so years later. And the people have already left uh, reading and studying and living obediently to the word of the law. And so Ezra reads from it. Verse four of Nehemiah eight, Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malchajah, Hashem, Hashbada, Zechariah, and Meshulam, all these priests and Levites that had come with Ezra. Verse five, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them on that platform. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. What a time of great reverence for the word and law of God. Verse six, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites and their name there in Nehemiah 8 verse 7 instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. What a great scene. Um, uh, you, You have Ezra reading the book of the law And you have other Levites around them and explaining some of those things as the people are hearing it read, wondering what it might mean and how it applies to them. That's exactly what they were doing. Just like today in our Bible classes and in our sermons and in other opportunities, we talk about the word of the Lord and how it applies and what it means for us. What a a wonderful, wonderful thing. Then Nehemiah the governor, verse 9, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's what happens when you have an open heart and you hear the word of God taught or read and you realize your life has fallen far short of what you're hearing. And that's, that's what Ezra found there. And the land of the Jews, in their homeland. and But the people had soft hearts. And they heard that word and they heard that uh, teaching explained and they recognized, just like those on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart. And they were mourning and weeping. And Nehemiah and Ezra tell them, no, 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 let's let's have none of that. This is a great day. This is a day where we're back in our homeland. This is a day where we're reviewing and, and revisiting and recommitting to the law of God. Um, and so Nehemiah tells them in verse 10, go and enjoy cho- choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8, at the end of verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What a great statement uh, that Nehemiah makes on this very special day. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink to send portions of food and to celebrate with, good, with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Uh, what a great celebration, what a wonderful moment in Israel's history. They had gone back, they had rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah uh, was there and uh, likely had rebuilt the walls by this time or was about to, and now they were celebrating. Uh, that those walls being uh, built, the temple being rebuilt, the people uh, being returned from exile, and now they, they are rebuilding their spiritual lives, opening up the word of God, the book of the law, reading it, uh, coming to terms with their own sinfulness and disobedience and repenting, and now celebrating with great joy. As they continue reading, they realize that it's the time in uh, the verses that follow, it's the time for one of the great festivals uh, of the Jews The festival, the, the Feast of the Booths or Tabernacles It's the feast that Jesus goes to a Jerusalem in John chapter 7 uh, to observe uh, wh- He goes after his brothers had taunted him into trying to get him to go and he refused But then after they left, he did go and he taught uh, in John 7 and so uh, it's a great, great uh, moment as the Jews, again, recommit themselves to being obedient to the word and will of God. And as they're reading, they realize, hey, we should be observing this feast, this festival. It's one of the most important parts of, of our year. And, um, and so we realize three great feast times, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, celebrating the Passover, uh, the Feast of the Harvest, which is the Pentecost Feast, 50 days after the Passover. And then this one, the Feast of Booths, the the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering that time when the people were in the wilderness and had no uh, permanent dwelling, and yet God took care of them. Uh, What a great time, a wonderful time of celebrating uh, the great blessings that God had given them. They had been returned to their land, they had rebuilt the temple, They had rebuilt the walls under Nehemiah and now they were rebuilding the worship and obedience to the Lord. Great, great moment. Great, great time. But as we close this study today, I want us to go back to that great verse of Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. Ezra, the man of truth, a man completely committed to God and to uh, uh, being uh, obedient and living according to God's word. These words again in Ezra 7 verse 10, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study of the law of the Lord, to the observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Let us all be devoted. Let us all have that belt of truth buckled around our waist. And let us all join Ezra in being devoted to God's word, to studying God's word, to living obediently, to obeying God's word ourselves and to teaching it and sharing God's word with others. Amen.